turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. The Bullington Capital Report, hosted by Bill Bullington. For the next hour, you'll receive information on current market conditions and trends that could affect your financial future. If you have a question, you can participate in today's program by calling 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0WHK. You can also reach Bill by going to his website, BullingtonCapital.com. And now, here's Bill Bullington. Well, welcome back. Been a lot of stuff going on lately. Actually, there's always a lot of stuff going on. Don't ever let anybody fool you. <laughs> That's the uh, uh, one of the, I don't know if it's a benefit. Yeah, I guess it is a benefit. But one of the benefits of having 7 billion people on the planet, there's always something to talk about. <laughs> Actually, lots of things, too many things to talk about. There's so many things to talk about that uh, have a tough time covering a lot of the material that we really need to know. And uh, anyway... Since you hear a lot about things that are going wrong, I thought I'd I thought it'd be good to tell you a little bit about some things that are going very right. And unemployment is very, very low. Stayed low. In fact, I, I want some money back from the degree I got in college. <laughs> because in our econ classes, they were telling us that unemployment rates below 5% were unattainable. Not hard to do. They said unattainable. And then they said, if it were ever to get that low, the chances of it staying that low are about as good as the Browns going to the Super Bowl 10 years in a row. <laughs> the, uh, but uh, And how long has it been below 5%? That's pretty crazy. And, and I'm sure that has a lot to do with how they calculate it because they love to change the, the methods that they use to calculate inflation rates and uh, employment figures. By the way, if you owed $20 trillion and got to set your own interest rate based on what you said the inflation rate was, what would you say the inflation rate is? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so but there are a lot of really good things going going on. Housing markets, this this cracks me up. I'm, I'm reading the reports on housing. They're saying, oh, the housing has fallen off. They didn't sell as many homes. Uh, well, why? The reason that they... That they gave was um, not able to build that many. Actually, there's so much demand, and and all the housing prices have gone up so much, and houses are selling so fast that they ran out of inventory. Okay, now how's that a problem again? <laughs> what you know? It just it just kills me. I'm I'm not sure that the people writing this are actually watching what they're writing. I'm, in fact, I'm pretty sure that they're not. Very few journalists have any training in economics, even the ones that are economic journalists. You know, in school, they majored in journalism. <laughs> but uh, anyway, 
One of the funny parts I, I was I was thinking, you know, we've been talking a lot about the growth in technology. Technology has been leading on most fronts, um, most major indexes. Stock funds have done very well that have a lot of exposure to technology. Um, 5G is a part of that. The driverless cars, that's a part of that. Just the fact that it's technology and technology changes a lot is a big part of that. But I was just thinking to myself the other day how uh, how quickly voice control is going to come to your house. That's got to be pretty prevalent. You have it now. You've got the Google Home and you've got the, uh, what is that? Alexa. Yeah, Amazon Alexa. So it's listening. You know, It's listening all the time. You can ask it questions. It'll tell you jokes. You can get the weather. You can order stuff on Amazon. <laughs> the, uh, that's actually going to come to your house. And, and at some point in time, relatively quickly, it's going to be really easy to lock your house. The security will all be connected up through a 5G network that's super fast and lots of data all the time. You'll be able to, you know, video conference on your phone with your home when you're out on vacation out of the country. It'll be real time. Uh, it, all that stuff is there now. It's just not very common. It's all there now, but it's not very common. And I was just thinking, um, actually just had a thought. The world is actually going to become a much nicer place because all the kids who were bullied, all the kids when they're, when they and grew up to be programmers, they're definitely going to have their day. Um, definitely going to have their day. You know why? Because you're going to be using your phone to control everything. And they wrote the programs for that. Your phone is going to synchronize, by the way, with all the other electronic devices in your home. Sometimes I like to argue, by the way. Your devices like to argue with you and you have to be careful when you're arguing with your phone or your house <laughs> because those things have long-term memories and their feelings are easily hurt. I have a feeling the programmers were probably bullied as kids and are taking it out of the code that they write. If you offend your phone, it might take it on a little tour while you're on your way to an important meeting. I can see it now. Your phone says, turn right. Oh, wait, I meant turn left. I'm sorry. Did I make you late for your appointment? You got to be careful. You got to watch your tone of voice when you're talking to your phone. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm laughing about that, but um, that's really not too far off from the truth. Something like that could absolutely be happening. And I think it'll be coming to a uh, house near yours, probably in your house. So a lot of this stuff is uh, really good for the economy. Because the current technology that you have is, is not actually compatible with all this stuff. So you're going to have to buy you know new televisions. You're going to have to buy new refrigerator stoves. Uh, you'll come and link up your house. Very good to be an electrician. Electricians are going to be in, in big demand. Actually, they're in big demand now. So if you've got a kid that doesn't really want to go to college but likes to tinker around with stuff, I don't know. I'd, electricians make a really good buck. So do plumbers. Um, I'm not sure how the drywall guys do. But carpenters are doing very well. All, actually, all the people in the trades, because there, there's been a, a large exodus. People are retiring, and the people going into the trades have not been as, as uh, it hasn't been as frequent as many of the people who are retiring. So you got, in other words, you've got more retirees than you do people entering the industry. And so there's really good opportunities there. It's one of the reasons that the employment rate is so low 
this building is is still very high. It, it's incredibly high. And in fact, you know what I thought I would do? I was going to uh, read. I have a there's an economist, an economist that I really like to follow. His name is Brian Wesbury, and he's a chief economist at First Trust. First Trust is a company that that uh, manages money. They're one of the largest ETF providers in the country. And uh, so I, I really like the the writing that he has. I think I think most of the time he's right on target. You know, it's actually quite amazing. Most economists aren't. Most economists are not on target, by the way. Anyway, he wrote in the last publication that a year ago they projected the S&P 500 would hit 3,100 at the end of 2019. And this came out December 16th, by the way, 2019. So it's a little over a month old. In spite of the swoon in equities in the fourth quarter last year, we didn't see a recession coming in our model for estimating fair value for the stock market was screaming buy. You know, the market last year was up about 32% for the full year. By the way, it was down 20% right before that. So it, it actually sounds better than it actually was, but it's still good. I mean, you go the, the two-year average is still at right around the long-term average. Anyway, at mid-year, seeing the economic and trade policy stars aligning for future growth and our model uh, for equities, still showing room for gains, we lifted our forecast to 32.50. Okay, so they're saying uh, that's actually what they did. At a Friday close of 31.69, they were only 2.6 below that level with 16 days to get actually really accurate for forecasts. And and I'm not a big fan of forecasting where the market's going to be in the future. I think they most firms do it because the public demands that they do it. So they have to shine up their crystal balls. And by the way, most of this stuff is just looking at whatever the, the economic forecast is looking at whatever's happening right now and projecting that out into the future. They don't actually, or most firms, even Westbury, even as much as I like this guy, that the major turns, they have a tendency to miss. And I know why it, it I don't I would if I were in their shoes I wouldn't even do it. I wouldn't succumb to the pressure of the public who wants to know the unknowable. So anyway, goes ahead to write that uh, for 2020 they remain bullish. They're going to call the S&P for the end of the year being at 3650. It's about 15% higher than it is right now, which is a uh, that's a lot. That, th- those are bold predictions. Now, I would take that with a grain of salt. And I'm sure they're glad to hear somebody like me say that because they know I'm not going to hold their feet to the fire. I just looked at the uh, S&P. It's actually uh, 333 right now. Well, that's S- the SPY, which is basically one-tenth the S&P. So that'd be pretty good. You get up to 3650 by the end of the year. That would be awesome. They think the Dow Jones Industrial Average is going to move up to 32,500. By the way, when they're talking about this, the prices, you know, I, I, I know what they're doing. They're trying to appease the public. The public wants to know. I just wouldn't do it. If I were in charge of that, I wouldn't do it because I know that there's a really good chance that they're going to miss and then people are going to be upset with them. But they do it anyway because everybody keeps asking them to. <laughs> like I said, these guys have been pretty good. I really like uh, the logic that they follow. I like the models that they use to try to um, project these things. 
And I know that they're doing it only because the public demands it. Having said that, the methodologies that they use, I think make a lot of sense. So in other words, they're looking at things they think over the next year or so, things are going to be pretty good. I got to say, I, I really, I'm watching this happen now. I look at the sales growth in all the major sectors that make up the, the stock market, and it's pretty good. Barring some unforeseen event, yeah, they're just taking exactly what's happening right now, projecting that right out over the next 12 months. And as long as it keeps its current course, this is about where we should end up. That makes a lot of sense. No, let's see. Oh, by the way, back to what I was just talking about, or to, to, to back up what I was just talking about. He goes on to say, needless to say, we don't see a recession anytime soon. Economy is still adapting to lower tax rates and monetary policy remains loose. That means interest rates are low and credit is available. In addition, home builders are still generating too few homes. Given our population growth and scrappage rates, while banks are sitting on ample, uh, ample capital. So that's a good thing. The second step, and usually the most important one, is to use our capitalized profits model. That that's, It's actually a model that they have to kind of forecast what they think the profits are going to be and then what would be a fair price to pay for those profits. And uh, basically, he's saying that stock market's still undervalued. Great. That's awesome. Yeah, it's still undervalued. So in other words, if the market were to go down 10 or 20% from here, which is totally normal, the market typically has a 10% correction every 12 to 18 months. Every uh, uh, two years or so, it'll have a 20% correction. Every five years or so, it'll be more than 20%, at least on average. Averages are tricky. We'll talk more about that later. So anyway, they, uh, they think long-term interest rates are, are headed higher. That can change uh, in a minute. By the way, this guy... You know, he updates this typically once a week. And as it uh, as things begin to unfold, it, they may have to change it. In fact, he goes on further to say, in addition, it's important to notice that in recent years, operating profits generated by the companies in the S&P 500 has, have risen much more than the government's measure of corporate profits that they use in their own models. That's kind of interesting. Operating profits are different than the uh, corporate profits that they're reporting. There, that's an accounting thing. So, uh, what he's the reason he brings that up is because he's saying that even though they're projecting, they think the S and P might be up fifteen percent a year from now, that their model may be underestimating. They're saying that their model may be too conservative, and in that case, S and P might be up to closer to four thousand. Right now, it's at three thirty three. That's a, uh, that's pretty big. That's actually really big. Do you know I remember? I, this, this always sticks out in my mind. Actually, now that I hear the music, I'm going to have to let that stick in my mind until after these commercial messages. <laughs> I'll be back soon. This is Bill Bullington right here on 1420. Stay tuned.
Yeah, everybody hurts sometimes. I know that's what they say. But right now it seems this loneliness will right. go away. Yeah. You are listening to Bill Bullington right here on 1420, The Answer. Here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. You can also find this as a podcast on iHeartRadio.com, on 955thefish.com, or on my website at Bullington Capital. If you have a question, you feel free to uh, contact me at my website, and uh, I'll get it back to you as quickly as I can. Um, we offer a free Get Acquainted meeting if you just want to sit down and talk about what you're doing, uh, what your investing plans are. Feel free to give me a buzz. I, uh, it's basically what we do. We really specialize in, in retirement planning. Uh, the number one reason that I chose that is that it takes an awful lot of money to be able to walk away from your job without cutting back on your lifestyle. I mean, it, that is a, that's a major task, a major task. And uh, in my mind, it should be the most important task that you have financially, being financially independent. I mean, I don't want to be a burden on my kids. And I'm sure most of you don't want to be burdens on your children either. So it, it's the most important aspect of a financial uh, financial plan, for that matter. The, uh, and it should be most people's number one priority. Um, it's not for a lot of people. I get it. You know, life gets in the way sometimes. But, you know, when you're ready, uh, feel free to give us a call. And we have a free Get Acquainted meeting. And I'll see if I can help you. And uh, there's no uh, pressure we're not a low-pressure firm. We're a no-pressure firm. Uh, this is tough. Saving is hard. Investing is hard. Keeping your head level when everybody else around you is losing theirs, that's hard. So I need some help. We're there to offer help. Anyway, so we're talking about Brian Wesbury. He's the chief economist for First Trust, a big ETF provider. Guy I like a lot because I, I've followed him for a, a long time. He makes a lot of sense. Very Super common sense. So it's, it's unusual for a guy to have a PhD who also has a lot of common sense. Uh, an awful lot of PhDs have excellent memories and they have excellent um, mathematical skills, especially in the econ area. Uh, but oftentimes they don't have a lot of practical experience. And that's one of the ways we get into trouble. <laughs> but anyway, having said that, he was talking about how their models would underestimate the actual results of the economy under certain conditions and that maybe those conditions were actually going to start to present themselves and things might even be better than they think they will. Uh, and he went on to write that the biggest risk to their forecast is that someone on the far left wins the White House in, in 2020 and the Democrats simultaneously get a majority in the U.S. Senate. And he went on to say, we think that's very unlikely. I agree. I, I don't think that's very likely at all uh, to be able to take the White House and the Senate. Um, I don't think so. Anyway, he goes on to write, most likely the outcome of the election ensures that the tax cuts will remain in place without any radical new entitlements or expansions of the entitlements already in place. So basically he's saying it's probably going to stay on the same course that it's staying on right now which is a good one. He said, like you said, last year will probably, uh, this will probably be one of the most optimistic forecasts. He's calling his forecast more optimistic than all the other firms. Uh, and I agree. 
And he went on to say even that uh, it might be the most optimistic one of all. But in the end, we do best by our readers when when we tell them exactly what we think is going to happen without altering our projections so we can run with the safety of the herd. You know what that means? A lot of these firms, a lot of the firms are afraid to step out and tell you what they really think. That's what they mean. These guys are saying, yeah, that's not us. <laughs> and and they're, that's one of the reasons I like these guys. They really, they get to speak their mind. And they do regularly. And they're very practical. There's another guy that, uh, guy over at Raymond James, I can't remember his name right now. But he's very similar. These guys carry a lot of similar opinions too. But uh, what you would expect from somebody who tries to use logic and common sense and the experience that they have, not to mention they have PhDs, yeah, to forecast, you know, I, I think they do a wonderful job. And it's not just because they're saying that the economy is doing well. They're, they're observing things and, and telling you why they think it's doing They're showing you how it's doing well. They don't just tell you, hey, look, it's going to be great. They go back and they, they put in the, the data. They put in the homework. And for the most part, they speak English. <laughs> a lot of people that, uh, a lot of my professors in college, I, this is going back over 30 years, by the way, had a hard time conveying what they knew to the rest of us because they didn't really have to take you know teaching classes or communication classes. They were PhDs in their fields. And uh, I always liked the guys who were really good communicators. And there were a lot of those too. And uh, he's one of those. So anyway, he goes on to remind everybody that last year we told investors to grit your teeth because those who stay invested in your head should earn substantial rewards. So that was when uh, the S&P was down a little over 20, well, close to 20% from peak to trough. They were just saying, hang in there, hang in there. Better days are coming. And of course they did. Last year ended up being a, a really good year. So they ha- he's got some other information. And by the way, if you would like a copy of this, you know, feel free to reach out to my website. Now, when you go to my website and you fill in the contact us form, you actually have to write in the question. <laughs> People have, have, have been uh, going to the website, putting their names and email addresses down and forgetting to fill in the question that they have. So it, it's blank. Um, I have no idea what I'm responding to. So I have to email you with, you had a question and I'm, I'm, I'm getting the feeling that people are forgetting that they went to the website and what the question was about because very few people are, are actually going, they take the time to put in their email address, but they don't write the question. And, and I'm sure by the time I, I get back to them a, a day later that, you know, they forgot where they heard the radio show and what the question was. So if you wouldn't mind, if you could uh, put the question down when you fill out the form, online form with the question, that would be great. That way you don't have to uh, look into my crystal ball that doesn't work anyway. <laughs> By the way, I, I do have a crystal ball if you want to see it. You can come in, I'll show it to you when you come in for your Get Acquainted meeting. Uh, I, I used to keep it out front and center, but it was making people nervous. <laughs> so I, put, I pushed it back to the back of my office behind me. They look right around over my shoulder. If you're in my office, you can see it there. But uh, yeah, that thing has uh, actually never worked. <laughs> anyway, they've got another, uh, I, by the way, these guys have a, a weekly, um, he puts out a weekly newsletter as well. He, they call it the Monday Morning Outlook. 
And I really liked this one. This one was from January 27th. And it's the Federal Reserve is set to make its first policy statement of the year on Wednesday. So this is a good time uh, as any to reiterate their view that the Fed's likely to keep short-term interest rates steady through 2020. While pressures will build, the Fed seems to content to hold them steady the next year as well. In other words, you're not going to see a big change in interest rates. I think I was looking at the 10-year treasuries on the way in here. I think they're about right around 1.6%. Uh, they think they're going to stay right around that area. That's really tough. 1.6%. By the way, you still have to pay taxes on that. 1.6%. So you get CDs, you know, money markets, they're all paying less than that. That is really tough incredibly difficult to be able to retire on 1.6%. If you had a million dollars, that's only 16,000 bucks. And uh, there's some guy who shall rename, rename, who shall remain nameless, who also has a financial program who talks about that makes everything so complicated. I'm like, really? That's complicated? You think that's complicated? And, and you, what do you do again for a living? You, oh, that's right. You sell financial products. Maybe you should go back to school. <laughs> uh, glad I get, just had to get that off my chest. <laughs> One point six. You really need to know percentages pretty well. You need to be very familiar with them, but only if you want to succeed financially in your life. And percentages are not that hard to, to learn. Let's get a calculator. The next seminar seminar I do, I promise, I, I got a whole bunch of seminars sitting in my, our, our calculators sitting in my office. Very inexpensive. They got my logo on them. I'll show you how to do capitalization. What's that? It's, it's actually what I just did. You got 1.6%. How do you, how do you multiply uh, that by the amount in your account balance to find out how much you're going to get in interest? And basically it's, it's a super simple calculation and we'll go through that in detail at the next seminar because it's really simple. How much do I need to retire? I don't, well, how much would you like to have? And how much, what kind of interest rate, what kind of return do you think you could get? 1.6 is going to be tough. If you take the uh, average or the, the average household incomes around 70000 $70,000. And I did not, by the way, um, I'm going to have to do this while I'm speaking. So if the average income is $70,000 and let's say you can get by on 80% of that, which is $56,000, right? And you're not going to count social security. If you did count social security, you'd actually take out about 18,000. That's the average. I know a lot of people are a lot higher than that, but that would mean you have to come up with $38,000 on your own. You divide that by 0.015. That's one and a half percent. You only need two and a half million dollars to do that. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. This is why you've got to have, you got to earn more than what you can get on a CD or government bond. You just have to. And if you can shoot for an overall return somewhere around five or 6% without taking too much risk, I think you should probably do that. I think in today's environment, that's a really good number. Uh, 10, 20 years ago was very low. 10, 20 years ago, you could have gotten much higher returns. Some of the models that I use now over the past 10 or 20 years have had better returns than that, but you know, it comes with risk. So you have to, you gotta, there's a trade-off there. 
you do want some of your money in those lower interest rate uh, investments because they're very steady. CDs are guaranteed by the FDIC. The, uh, you have annuities guaranteed by insurance companies. Um, there's no federal agency, by the way, guaranteeing the insurance company. You've got bonds that are short-term in nature from companies that have AAA rating. You can invest in those. You're not going to get a tremendous amount more of interest in, in some of those things. There are mortgage-backed securities. Those are uh, mortgage bonds that, that you buy in funds. Those are probably your biggest bang for your buck right now, right around 3% current yields. Uh, average, um, I'm not going to get into the statistics on that stuff. That I'll get everybody lost. If you want to learn more about that, you can call me. I'll show it to you. It's a lot easier for me to show it to you in person when we're sitting in front of the computer than it is to try to talk about it on the radio. So anyway, the current yields on some of those things are right around 3%, 3, 3.5, your highest. Now, you also have junk bonds. And if your junk bonds are spread out, really diversified, I think right now they make a lot of sense. Your yields are in the high fours, low fives on some of those. That's pretty good. So again, you get fixed income side. That side typically doesn't fluctuate as much as stocks do. Then you have the stock side. uh, And uh, that's what our friends over at First Trust were talking about. They think the stock side is going to be pretty good. You can also, you know, the, the equity income thing, that, that's the thing when people look at stocks with high dividends. Well, if you're looking for a stock that's got a dividend yield of 5 or 6%, it's going to be pretty risky because nobody has to pay 5 or 6% today to attract investors anymore. Not with all those low interest rates out there in banks and government bonds. In fact, the vast majority of the lower risk stock funds that invest in stocks that pay dividends. That's one of their uh, key attributes that they're looking for. The dividend yield is going to be somewhere between 1.8 and 2, so it's going to be kind of competitive with that, but you expect growth of the dividend and you expect those companies to grow. That's why you're, they call it equity income. That's a stock with income. And I have to go to a commercial break here in a few few seconds, so I I will come back and I will talk specifically about a couple of different ways of doing that. Some of the funds that I use for some of my more conservative portfolios. You're listening to Bill Bullington right here on 1420. Stay tuned because I will be right back. back. Hey, we're just talking a little bit about uh, income funds, funds that uh, invest in stocks who pay dividends. Those are really popular. The ones that are the most popular, incidentally, are typically the ones that have the most risk because people are attracted by the really high return. And it's really tough to get a high return without taking a lot of risk. In fact, I'm going to tell you again, it's kind of like the Browns going undefeated next year. <laughs> if you have a stock fund and its yield, the income that it's going to generate, or a bond fund whose return is going to be greater than 4%, when you hear something that's greater than 4%, there's risk there. 
Now, the, the level of risk is not going to be low. In some cases, you can get an annuity from an insurance company who will guarantee a 4% payout. That's not a 4% return. You can get a, actually, depending on your age, you can get up to 6%. The older you are, the higher that goes. So if you if you have interest in that, feel free to give me a call. I can talk to you more about that in detail. And uh, yeah, so you can get income returns of somewhere between 4 and 6%, depending on your age again. But that's not the same. That's not like interest on a CD. Most of the funds that you're looking at, if you're looking at a fund and it has a, a, a return of higher than 4%, there's risk there somewhere. And if you are, are looking for those types of things and you'd like to come in and, and talk about that, feel free to give me a, you know, reach out and call. That's one of the things that we do. Now, on the more traditional side, when you're looking for an income from stocks that are healthy stocks, that are profitable stocks, and you hope that that dividend goes up over time, and you hope that the stocks appreciate over time as well. So you're trying to get a little bit of both. You're trying to get some income currently. And you'd also like to see some growth. The street slang for that strategy is equity income or stocks that pay dividends, basically. Okay. And there's one of my favorites. It's one of the first trust profit products. It's what, one of the reasons I read uh, Mr. Wesbury because he, he works for that company. And they call it the First Trust Value Line Dividend Index Fund. Value Line has a dividend index that they publish. And these guys run a fund that follows that the process of that index. So I'm just going to explain it really quick, quickly and give you an idea of what they're actually doing with the money, which is very important. See, when you know what somebody's doing with the money, it, it kind of helps when you see markets going up and going down you know that there's an actual process there and then it's based on real things like cash and dividends and and leverage and somebody looking at the, the books to making sure they're not cooking the books and if they find out somebody is, they get rid of that thing. So in other words, the portfolio is being watched over and this is how they watch over this particular portfolio. It starts with the universe of stocks that Value Line gives a safety ranking of one or two. Value Line, by the way, has been around since the 50s. Since the 1950s, and they've they're very trusted name. They have these safety rankings. They go in and look at the companies for safety, and they rank them one through five. One and two are their highest rankings. They take all the registered investment companies, basically stocks, limited partnerships, and foreign securities not listed in the U.S. are removed from that universe. So they're not going to do limited partnerships. They're not going to do foreign securities. That's not going to be in that group of stocks that they're looking at from the stocks that are left. They select those companies with a higher average dividend yield. So now let's go back and review. They've got to be ranked number one or number two using their own proprietary safety ranking system. They get rid of limited partnerships and companies that are outside the United States. And now they're looking for companies with a higher than average dividend yield compared to the indicated dividend yield of the uh, S and P 500. Okay. So, higher average dividend yield in the S&P 500 from that pool of stocks that's ranked either number one or two for safety. And we're getting rid of the companies trading outside the United States and limited partnerships. What they do from that point is they get rid of those companies that are smaller than a billion dollars. Those are considered small caps today. From there, 
They finally, the last part of this is they equally weight each of the securities that are left over. So what have they done? They've gone and looked for quality companies that have good, strong balance sheets that are paying dividends. They get rid of the foreign companies and limited partnerships. So they've narrowed that list down a little further. Then they take the dividends that uh, the companies that have dividend yields that are higher than the S and P 500. And then they take out the, the small cap stocks from there. I know seems like a lot and it is, but it, it's done very well. Um, the current index yield, or I'm sorry, the current yield on the portfolio is 2.28. That's pretty good. When you've got CDs that are only paying 1.5 or under 2%, 2.28. Uh, I believe, you can't uh, hold me to this because I'm going to have to double check this now that I said that, but I believe these are our qualified dividends, which means they get taxed at a lower rate. I will double check and next week I'll come and uh, confirm or uh, say, nope, they're just ordinary income. So I think they get a, uh, a little bit of a bump, a little bit of a break on the amount of taxes you have to pay on it. But when you think about it, 2.28 is pretty good when you're looking at CDs that are smaller than that. So that's not bad. Track records. I'm not even going to talk about it because when I talk about that, I can get in trouble. So if you want to see more information on this fund, I just described what the fund is, what they do, how they're doing it. I'm telling you, I use the fund for, especially for my clients who are already retired, having those dividends come in is a good thing. Historically, stocks that have good, strong financial statements or financial statements positions that are considered to be strong by investors' guidelines, if you're looking at uh, conservative investments that have above average dividend yields, they generally don't go down quite as far when the market crashes. They also have a tendency to bounce back a little bit quicker. Now, those have been tendencies in the past. We're not allowed to guarantee any of that. But when you look at how they're doing it, it's easy to understand how that might happen. If you're looking for companies who are very solid, are are on solid ground financially, uh, who are part of a group of stocks that have been around for a while, and very few stocks that have more than a billion dollars in market capitalization, uh, or market value that just started yesterday. <laughs> and the ones that typically have a stock market value of a billion, don't, they don't have the financials to back it up. You know, there are a lot of companies that come out you know, and take off, go way up before they actually ever earn a profit. So this is one of the more conservative ways of investing in dividend-paying stocks, and I really like it. I like it a lot. By the way, you'd be surprised... And how much these portfolios, if you looked inside the portfolio, you'd be surprised at how much they turn over, how much the stocks turn over in a year. One of the great things about owning that in an exchange-traded fund is you're not going to end up getting an unnecessary, uh, a surprise capital gain distribution. At least it hasn't happened yet. I can't say it, it'll always be that way. But right now, under current tax laws, these are very beneficial when it comes to taxes. And I get people coming frequently saying, you know what, Bill, I just want to do individual stocks. I'm like, my first response is, no, you don't. (laughs) You don't. If you manage the portfolio, you're going to have a lot of turnover. You can't control how fast a stock goes up or down, which means you may end up 
being able to, or you may end up being forced to take short-term gains and you may be uh, disallowed from taking the short-term loss, depending on how long you've held on something. You just don't want to do that anymore. I mean, it's just not efficient. From a tax standpoint, it's nowhere near as efficient. From a management standpoint, people hang on to, to stocks way too long. And anybody that's ever invested in individuals, individual stocks knows what I'm talking about. You hold on to it way too long to try to avoid paying taxes on it. And it comes back to haunt you because the stock crashes on you. How many times has that happened to you? Okay, So having this wrapper, having this put in a wrapper, looking for the high quality, the, the companies that have really strong financial positions who are paying above average dividends, that's a really good thing. <laughs> that's an awesome thing. So if you'd like more information on that, by the way, this is one of the funds, and this is what I've decided to do going forward this year. This is one of the funds that I use in the stock portion of the, the portfolios of my clients who are retired. We're looking for income that has some tax advantages from some really high quality companies. And if you were able to beat the track record of this, then you should be doing this for a lot more people <laughs> and yourself. It's going to be incredibly difficult. Not that you can't, but you know, the Browns might go undefeated next year. Yeah. But that's about what your chances are. <laughs> Somebody sitting at home trying to do this is, is it's really going to be tough. So, uh, by the way, I spent a lot of time identifying this company. They didn't come looking for me. I went looking for them. I went through my database. I've got the Morningstar database. It's got literally over 100,000 funds in it. When you add up all the funds that are out there, can you believe that? Do you know how many stocks there are to invest in that are big enough to be investable by SEC standards? There's about 3,200. So you got about 3,200 stocks and over 100,000 funds looking at those stocks. <laughs> That's why it's so hard to, to beat. Uh, it's incredibly difficult. I mean, can you? Yeah, you might. Yeah, I can show you how to do that, too. That's actually the Lookout for the Bull website. If you're going to have a chance, I think that's probably the way you're going to do it. Um, there's one other way, but I'll talk about that next week on next week's show. But one of the ways, if you were going to try, you know, you want to take a shot, let's, let's try to beat the big boys, uh, go to the website, lookoutforthebull.com. It's run by a kid named Mike Seeger, and I can call him a kid because he's still in college. <laughs> but go to Look Out for the Bull. There's free training there. Uh, it's not very long because it's really not that complicated. It's not that complicated. With only being around 3,200 stocks, uh, the whole idea behind that, and by the way, this is commonly referred to as momentum investing. It's how Janus and 20th Century and Fidelity back in the day when they were small enough to get away with this. All, a lot of major fund companies used to do this with a major portion of the money that they had because they were small. As they grow, they grow out of this strategy. When you have done it for a while, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. You'll know why. They grew out of the strategy, but fortunately I was around when they were still doing it. So they talked more about it. They taught a lot of things about it. In fact, a lot of them would tell you exactly how they were doing it. And they all had different 
little tiny changes that they would make, but uh, to make them their own. And, uh, and, and actually I encourage that. I encourage you to go through the, the training that's free. It's up on the website. It's only like five articles. And I think the longest one is probably 600 words. So you can read that stuff. And in a day, uh, you can be up to speed. Now, that's kind of like saying, you know, watch this boxing butt video and then go get a pair of gloves and get in the ring. <laughs> That's exactly what it's like, actually. <laughs> you know what would probably be better? And uh, I don't know. It'd be more like um, watch a video on how to hit a baseball, how to hit a home run uh, in the major leagues. There's got to be someone out there on YouTube somewhere. And then, you know, it's one thing to watch the video and understand it and then go buy a bat and get a nice pair of cleats and get a nice helmet so you don't get your your head knocked off. It's another thing entirely to stand at the plate and swing when that fastball is coming down at 100 miles an hour. (laughs) And uh, anybody that's ever played baseball can probably relate to that. And uh, so, but this this is really good training. I think if you did this for any length of time, the help that you'd really get from that is seeing just how stock prices move. I was laughing last week. The uh, A company came out. It was Bloom Energy. They came out with this horrible news. I mean, the news, if you read the news, you're like, oh my gosh, that stock's going to, that's going to crash. And instead it went up 10% for the day. And I got it at the high of the day because it came down a little bit below where I made my purchase price. Now, since I made the purchase, you know, I guess it's about a, about a week. It's up about 11% from there. I thought I was uh, really doing well. The fec- second day after I purchased it was actually up 32%. So it's pulled back since then. In fact, it, at some point in time, I might even get stopped out of this thing. Let me take a look at that really quickly. Yeah, I probably get stopped out. Probably got stopped out. That's okay. I'll have a, a nice small gain on it. And if it comes back up on my skin, I'll just buy it back. So if it doesn't come up on the scan and crashes, I'll be going, woo, I'm glad I sold that. <laughs> so that's that's kind of how that goes. That's a really active style. I don't recommend this for most people. I only talk about this because I was really young when I was doing this, when I learned this. And once once you learn it, it kind of gets in your under your skin and you, you always want to do it. So I don't do this with a, a large amount of money and I wouldn't recommend that you would do this with a large amount of money either. But it is fun, and it's extremely education, extremely so. And I'll have to tell you more about that on next week's show because now I hear the music. That means my show is over. You've been listening to Bill Bullington. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon on 1420 The Answer, also available on 955thefish.com as a podcast. Have a good week, everybody. Good luck and good investing. You just caught another edition of the Bullington Capital Report, broadcasting every Saturday at 11 a.m. on AM 1420 The Answer. If you have a question and you'd like to speak to Bill personally, you can call him at 330-664-0700. That's 330-664-0700. Or online at BullingtonCapital.com. That's BullingtonCapital.com. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. 
Therefore, no current or prospective client should assume that the future performance of any specific investment, investment strategy, including the investments and or investment strategies recommended and or purchased by advisor or product made reference to directly or indirectly will be profitable. Different types of investment involve varying degrees of risk, and there can be no assurance that any specific investment will either be suitable or profitable for a client's investment portfolio. No client or prospective client should assume that any information presented serves as the receipt of or substitute for personalized investment advice from the advisor or any other investment professional. The preceding program has been paid for by Bullington Capital Management, LLC.